Um, inside your bulletins, I believe, do you have the Apostles' Creed inside your bulletins? We're going to go ahead and recite that together. We're going to recite that together. And so I don't have my copy with me, and I don't have it fully memorized. Thanks, Ben. So we're going to read the Apostles' Creed together on a count of three. Are you ready? One, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. We're in a brand new series called We Came to Believe. And what we're doing in this series is we're going back to the fundamentals of the faith. So we decided to use the Apostles' Creed as a springboard to go back and look over our faith and see if this ancient belief, this ancient declaration, this ancient creed has, number one, is coherent or is consistent with the Bible, but also if, in fact, um, this creed can help us as we study God's word, look to God's word, and rely on God himself to help us to know his word. Now, in part one, we try to uh, wrap our minds around the series. And what we said simply is this, and this is going to lead us throughout the entire series. Your beliefs will determine your behavior. Every time. That's the reason we're going through this series is because we want your beliefs to be in line with God's word. But your beliefs will determine your behavior. If you find yourself drinking and drinking and drinking till your wife leaves and your children leave and your, kid and your job doesn't want anything to do with you, if you find it, let me, and you go, why do I keep on doing this? Why am I so, let me tell you why. It's because you have a belief system. If you find yourself uh, going, and I gave you the illustration of the friend that I had that had gone through something like 18 STD tests. Think about that. Think about that for a second. How how much do you have to risk your body to go to have to take an STD test, a sexually transmitted disease test, 18 times? Why does he do that? Because he has a belief system. And that belief system leads him to have reckless behavior with his body. If, if you, all the money you get, you spend on your clothes and your landlord is, you know, sending an eviction notice, and your, you know, your friends, you're borrowing money from your friends, and you find yourself in debt all the time. Why, why is that? Well, it's a belief system. 
We said that belief determines behavior. Whatever painful situation you're in, I promise you there's a belief system behind it that is moving you in that direction. That's what we talked about in part one. And, and, and simply, we looked at the, the creed, the Apostles' Creed, and we looked, I, we believe. And that's what we looked at, and then we looked into God's word. The next part of the Apostles' Creed says this. We believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth. And what we said was that God is both infinite and intimate. That he is both all-powerful and really close. That he is omniscient and he's loving. That he cares about the cosmic stars and the, the planets and he cares about the solar system, but that he also cares about where my kid goes to college, how my health is, whether or not I get a parking spot. He cares about these things. He's both infinite and intimate. Today, we're going to look at a, uh, the part of the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to look at an aspect of Scripture that I think is so talked about that for some of you, it's like, oh, yeah, and you're going to just check out. You're just going to go, oh, yeah, I know this. Oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, I, I tell you what, I'll get on Facebook, Twitter. I'll do, you know, I'll watch videos. If you have a Bluetooth, you know, you'll do that, Right? And you'll just go, oh, no, I know this. But I think that there's, that there's a way where we can listen to something over and over and it doesn't have an effect on us. This happened to me. I, I, I lived um, in the Rockaways and the airport was just a few minutes away. And so the air, when, I remember when we first got there and I heard the airplane. I mean, we lived a few minutes away. So when I, it almost felt like you could just jump up and touch and scratch the belly of the plane. It was that close. And I said, oh, my goodness. That is something I will never get used to. And, you know, a week later, planes went. It goes, wow, do you hear that plane going? I was like, what plane? <laughs> I couldn't hear it anymore. Because when you experience something long enough, it just falls. Into, I grew up in Greenpoint. Another time this happened. Grew up in Greenpoint. They had this, like, um, I don't know what it was, it's like a sanitation. They had some, the sanitation met, you know, there, and they had, like, all this. And so Greenpoint, when you got to Greenpoint, there was a distinct smell in Greenpoint. But people from out of town would come into Greenpoint and visit my house, like family members, and they go, yo, what's that smell? And I'll be like, what smell? Matter of fact, I remember when I was a kid, when I was a kid, we would come in and then we would smell the sanitation. I'd be like, smells like home. Ooh. You can get used to anything. You can get used to anything and everything and find yourself that the truest things in life affect you no longer, that you've just gotten used to it. Today we're going to look at a passage. The passage that we're going to look, like, look at is found in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. But this beloved, is the most important thing that you will ever hear in your whole life. And even if you know it, this is the most important thing to be reminded about. Now, 
there's also another group of you. This other group of you, you grew up in a different belief system. Perhaps you grew up as a Jehovah Witness, or a Muslim, or a Buddhist, or an atheist. And so your belief about Jesus will be he's the Archangel Michael, if you're a Jehovah Witness. You're, he was a prophet, if you're a Muslim. He was an enlightened one, if you're a Buddhist. If you're an atheist, if you think about Jesus at all, you might just think, well, he was a, a, a good teacher. But what you think about Jesus is the most important thing. It's the most, it's such an important question. Jesus actually asked it to his disciples. He said, he said who do they say I am? And they answered, you know, some say you're this, some say you're that, some say you're this. And then Jesus goes to his followers, he goes, who do you? Who do you? Who do you? Who do you say I am? Because it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. When, he goes to, when Jesus goes to his followers, he's going, what do you think about me? As we look at Colossians um, Chapter 1, verse 15, we're reminded that the creed says, I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Now, this is crucial. Because what we think of Jesus will influence how we see God, how we relate to God, how we believe about God, and what we do in our lives. It affects everything. So with that in mind, I want us to stand to our feet. We stand out of respect for God's word. We stand, if you can, if you, if you can't stand, like you got bad knees or, you know, it takes you 10 days to stand up, it's fine. Um, stay seated. We're going to read this together. On the count of three, we're all going to read, it's about five verses. Real, you're going to read some of the most powerful words ever written in the history of the world. So let's just take a deep breath and just pray that God would let this truth sink deep into our hearts. Because I'm telling you, it changes everything. Count of three. One, two, three. The sun is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the hurt the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is God's word. Have a seat. So if you, if you want to know today's big idea, it's simply this. Jesus is God. We see that super clearly. Now again, like I said, that statement that I just made is controversial even and unfortunately in God's church. In God's church, there are some people who won't even believe that. Which suggests something is faulty in the way God's church is learning about Jesus. Because in Scripture, we see clearly that Jesus is God. Now again, this is going to have practical value in the way you date. It's going to have practical value in the way you relate to your spouse. It's going to have practical value in the way you deal with your children. It's going to have practical value in how you deal with the times that we find ourselves in. How you respond on Facebook. How you deal with the terrible murders of young black men in our nation. And how you respond to the terrible murders of officers in our nation. This will influence everything. So put your thinking caps on. Jesus is God, and he didn't want us to miss that because he knows that if we see him as God, it'll dictate, it'll direct, it'll guide all of our decisions. If you mess this up, if you mess this up, all the cards fall down. This is the foundation that you cannot mess with. Jesus is God. The Son, it says in verse 15. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to be heavy on illustration. But I'm go- I want to exegete the text because it's such a powerful text. But I'm going to put the illustrations and the practical application in the back. But for the first part of this sermon, it's going to be a lot of theology. But I know that you guys are not only mature enough, you're also smart enough to be able to stick with me as we delve a little bit deep in the waters of the scriptures. Are you with me? All right, so let's do it. The sun, stop. The sun is talking about Jesus. Now, it's very important that when you and I hear the sun, especially if you come from uh, 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 an American background, you hear the sun and you go, oh, wait, 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 wait. You mean Jesus is like a tiny, he's like a little itty bitty God. He's like a tiny God. He's like a God with a, 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 a um, lowercase g. He's not a God with a, 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 a capital G. He's a God with a lowercase g. He's the son, the son of God. This is not at all what the scriptures mean. And if you don't believe me that this is just in our culture that thinks that way, do me a favor, go to a Muslim and say, Jesus is the son of God. Then duck. (laughs) Here's why. They know that when you say Jesus is the son of God, you're equating him to God. They know that. They know that so much. I went to... um, uh, we went to the Middle East um, in Jerusalem, and we went, uh, Evelyn was with us and a few others, Louisa, and, and yeah, and so we, uh, a bunch of us went, and we had a guide to take us, and we went to the Dome of the Rock. This is like Mecca, right? If you're a Muslim, you, this is part of your deal. You have to, this is part of the big five. You've got to go to Mecca if you're a real Muslim, at least once in your life. 
And so this is a big deal. And so, they, so they, they, we go to the Dome on the Rock, and in the most important building in the whole Muslim landscape, it says big words over and over on the top. It says, God has no son. God has no son. All over. All over the building. You know why? Because when you say Jesus is the son of God, you're saying that he's God. They hear that clearly. They're offended. Say it to a Jew. Say it to a Jewish person in Israel. Say it to a Muslim person in the Middle East. When the scriptures are speaking very, very clearly because you and I are in our 21st century mindset. We go, oh yeah, God and, and, and Jesus. God and Jesus. No, 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 Jesus is God. And the scriptures want to be clear about that. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, this is not like image, like reflection in a mirror or so, for instance, like, you know, if you look at your penny, you'll see uh, Lincoln, right? You look, and that's an image of Lincoln. But this is not image like that. This is image like revealing what was once concealed. This is image, the word image here in the Greek, in the original language, is he is revealing something that you did not see before. Jesus is the image. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Now, at this point, if you've grown up in a Jehovah Witness background, you go, you see, he's the firstborn. Oh, yeah, we believe that. Jesus is the firstborn, and then he made everything else. Now, the problem with that is, again, we're thinking with a 21st century mindset, and we're missing the truth of God's word. And it's so clear. It's so clear here. But you and I have filters that we can't see. When the Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, the Bible is saying that Jesus has preeminence. What he's saying, again, it's using a term to equate God with Jesus. Jesus is God. Now you go, nah, man, I don't see it. Well, over and over again, we see in the Old Testament how a person who is not the firstborn is called the firstborn. And you go, oh, so there's a contradiction. You don't believe that the firstborn is used as a, a status and not a genealogical um, order? You don't believe that? Turn into your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, to Psalm 89, verse 20. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to have it here. Psalm 89, verse 20. It's talking about David, King David, the, the glorious king of Israel. I have found David my servant. We're going to be reading two verses. We're going to read verse 20, and then we're going to jump down to verse 27. I have found David my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. Then ju jumps down to verse 27, and then it goes, I will appoint him. The reason I read you verse 20 is because the him that it's talking about in 27 is the David that it talk about in verse 20. Do you understand the connection? That's the only reason I'm, I'm jumping. So, I will appoint him to be my What? Firstborn. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. You see, there must be some, there must be some uh, contradiction in the Bible because everybody knows who's read their Bible that David was the seventh. You remember this? Do you remember this? Samuel came to anoint um, David. Well, he didn't know it was 
David yet, but he came to anoint a king of Israel. So he goes to David's family, and he goes to David's father, and he goes, hey, Jesse, um, I, I, I want to see your sons. Bring your sons to me. And so Jesse brings his firstborn, and he goes, oh, he goes nah, that's not it. God, remember, and then that famous verse, God uses that famous verse, man looks on the outside, but God judges on the inside. So the, 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 Jesse's firstborn was handsome and strong and tall, you know, everything you would think about a king, you know, and a warrior. And then he goes down, six brothers. And then Samuel goes, hey, is there anybody else? This guy doesn't even mention David because he's the runt of the litter. And so he goes, yeah, I got one. But he's out, like, cutting the grass or something. I, I, I told him to go away. Get him, get him. And then Samuel anoints him as king. He was the youngest. He was the last born. But here in this text, he goes, I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. Do you see it now? When God says you're his firstborn, what he's trying to say is that you have, when, if Jesus is called the firstborn, of a, he's equating him with God. Just like he's equating David with the kings of the, the supremacy that David had. Do you see that? It's firstborn in preeminence, not firstborn in birth order. He has the most honor. So, for instance... If I had a farm and I was in Bible times and I had like a big land and all that other stuff and my firstborn, my physical firstborn was a mess, right? He was just a mess. He played hooky. He did all, you know, he doesn't know anything, right? And then my second one was a genius. My second child was a genius and he could really take the family and really take the business. I would, I would go to my second son and I would appoint him as the firstborn. What would I say? When I say that he has the firstborn, I'm not saying that he's the first in genealogy. What I am saying is that he has equal authority to me. I'm giving him charge over the entire estate so that when the son says something, everybody knows that the boss is talking. This is, oh man, oh, sometimes you just wish you were in a church that shouted just a second or two. Come on. Good night. I'm working hard here. He's the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is God. He is the supreme one. He is the infinite one. Over and over and over, the scriptures want to point to the supremacy of Christ. There is no one in all of creation that could possibly surpass the preeminence. He is God of all. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And just in case you didn't get it, Paul goes back and hits this nail over and in. For in him, all things were created. He's the creator. In him, all things were created. And by the way, just in case you get confused, what do you mean by that? Paul goes, things in heaven and things on earth. And you go, oh, I'm st you're still not sure? Things visible and invisible. There is nothing that was not created. That what, there is nothing that was created that was not created by Jesus. He is not created and then created everything else. He is the creator, period. 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, and here it is, for him. Now this is powerful language, because all throughout the Old Testament, everything was created only for God. Everything is created for God's glory. We say it here. God, you know, let it be for our good and your glory. We say that all the time. He's talking about Jesus. It's breathtaking. And he is the, uh, I'm sorry, for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Now, wait, I'm moving too fast. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Why is that important? Listen to me. This is key. The breath that the atheist has to curse God is given by Jesus because in him all things hold together. The energy that you have to commit your sin, that energy was given by Jesus and you're using it contra Jesus. The, the, the mind that God has given the person who curses God, God holds that mind together. Just the other day, I was thinking of how fleeting and how, how quick life can change in a second. I was in the shower, and as I was taking a shower, I, you know, you ever do that little slip in the shower? I, I did that little slip, and I thought to myself, I am one second away from having everything, everything that I take for granted, like, you know, ability to tie my own shoes, ability to go to the bathroom by myself, ability to come up here and communicate to you guys. All of that can be taken from me in a second. God holds everything. Jesus holds everything together. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God that all would see how great, how great is our God. Right now, the thought that you have in rebellion unto Christ, Christ has enabled you to have it. There is a good, great God that we have. He holds all the atoms in the universe together. He is a great and awesome God. Now, i got to pause here for a second. Because Paul is being cosmic. In the very next verse, he's going to talk to the church, and he is the head of the body, the church. And then he's going to start talking about not only is Jesus preeminent over all creation, but specifically, he's the head. He's the, he's the preeminent one in the church. But before I go there, I'm going to, we need to take a second to talk. Because we find ourselves in this season, um, in our America, and I'm speaking specifically for those of you who are listening or who are watching outside of America, there is great unrest in America. This week alone, I saw two videos that were breathtaking about lives that just, it just, it, it boggles the mind. Philando Castillo was from St. Paul, Minnesota. He was shot and killed by a police officer. The thing that broke my heart about Castile's situation is that his wife was giving, she was declaring what, was, what had happened, and she was 
speaking on behalf of the family. And the son, who looked like a grown man, could not contain himself, was broken. This was a real life. And no matter what he did that was wrong, I'm pretty sure it didn't deserve the death penalty. And so we should be angry about that. You should be, you should not be passive about things like that. You should, if Christ is your Lord and Savior, you should scream, injustice! That should, that should grab your emotions in a way that, but it didn't end there. This week, Alton Sterling from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, was obeying an officer after having told him that he had a concealed weapon, and the officer asked him to get his identification. He was shot and killed. You should scream injustice, but it doesn't end there. In Dallas, the very officers who were protecting the right for a group of people to protest the officers were shot down, five dead. Patrick Zemaripa, Lorne Ahrens, Michael Kroll, Michael Smith, Brent Thompson. If I had more time, I would have found out how many children they represented, how many children were in their life, if they were married. Maybe they were a part of the softball league. They had neighbors that they were planning on meeting, maybe for church on Sunday. You and I should scream at the injustice. There should be something inside us because this is not the way the world was intended to be. But listen to me. We do not respond in ways that the world responds. The way we cry out injustice is not the way that the rest of the world cries injustice. The rest of the world cries injustice and says, black people against blue. And then the, the other part of the world goes, blue people against black. That cannot be our stance. We mourn with those who mourn. And so that means our Facebook presence is influenced by the supremacy of Christ. That we're not putting a Facebook thing up where we're glorifying the death of police officers? Huh? That's not the gospel. That's not even civil. That's not even right-headed. That's, that's what we're going to put up? Or, or, or we're going to put some ridiculous thing up about how people deserve what they got? Really? That's the God? What on earth are you out of your minds? That when we walk, we walk with the Spirit of God, in the power of God, with the Word of God, and we speak truth to power. We do not, we do not run to the dark side and embrace sin. The Bible says, be angry. But sin, not, do not sin. 
Because Jesus is Lord of his church. And he's Lord of this universe. And if you've been given a platform and you've been given ability, then you speak Christ unto this situation. We're reminded what we learned just a few weeks ago that the reason that earth feels a lot more like hell is because it's not heaven. We learned that this is a terrible place where injustice happens, where people get cancer and die too young. And if you're here and you're getting angry, then I pray that you just let Jesus convict you. To be pro-black lives does not mean that I am anti-officer. And to be pro-officer does not mean that I'm anti-pro-black. I'm I'm anti-black. But what it does mean is that when I walk in Christ, I live with the tension, and I speak truth unto power, whether it's uh, committees that are organized together to say that these officers all must die, or whether it's these people who are reacting to the black community as if everyone was was a convict or a criminal. Listen, we say, no, 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 no. We say, Jesus rules and reigns. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus will lead. Jesus will bring about peace. Even if, it means that it, even if it means that we lay down our lives for that purpose. It is Satan's job to take lives. It is the church's job to give up their lives for the cause of Christ. And so we got a good deal with the world. We got a good deal with the world. Because when you and I march, when you and I speak truth to power... If their job is to assault us, our job is to trust in Christ in the assault. It's a good deal. If their job is to take our lives, our job is to lay it down for the sake of Christ. We got a good deal going on. But we do not, and we do not, and we do not run to despair, run to sin. Why? Because the Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. In him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For this is the reason. Why can we walk in this power? Why can we lay down our lives with great joy? Why can we say we will not? We will not stand for people in authority, using their authority to a lethal extent on a group of people that it ought not be. And we will not say our reaction to that will be violent and vile as well. We will walk in Christ because he's our Lord and our authority and our power and our all in all. For, this is the reason why, folks, this is the reason why we live with the tension. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, in him. And through him, you ready? Reconcile to himself. Jesus has reconciled us to himself. Oh, are you, are you a Bush person? Are you a George Bush person? Then you are called to be a reconciler. Are you an Obama person? Then you're called to be a reconciler. Are you on the blue team? 
and you're called to be a reconciled, to walk across a room for reconciliation on the other side. Are you a part of the black? In fact, you and I don't see teams. What you and I see is people on whom Christ died for and that we are to follow the same suit. And through him, to reconcile himself, all things. You're not sure what the all things mean? Whether things on earth or things in heaven. Making peace. How? Through good words? How? Making peace through good intentions? How? How do we make peace? He made peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is why what you believe about Jesus makes all the difference in the world. That when you see a young man in the pool of his blood, you go, Jesus knows what it's like to be in a pool of his own blood. Jesus knows what it's like to have the authorities abuse him. And so we bring Jesus into the conversation. He goes, oh, are you abused? Are you oppressed? Jesus knows what it's like to be abused and oppressed. And Jesus also knows what it's like to be an authority and to be misunderstood. He goes, are you in authority? Are you misunderstood? Jesus, too, walks in that. And so we come as, listen to me, as innocent as lambs. We walk in Christ. We walk surrendered. We walk in outrage. We cry in justice. And yet we walk in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let your posts, don't let your statements, don't let your attitudes or actions reveal anything other than the risen Savior who'd rather die than not see people drawn unto himself in peace. So how does this look like? Here's what this looks like. In everyone's heart, in everyone's heart is a throne. Who's going to lead the way? Who's going to sit on the throne of your heart? Who's going to sit in the decision-making chair? Is it going to be your emotions? Is it going to be your political beliefs? Is it going to be your lusts? Is it going to be, what is it going to be? What we're saying is Jesus is God. I hope you got that from this text. This text screams it. If if anybody ever told you that the Bible doesn't say that Jesus is God, number one, they haven't read the Bible because it says it everywhere. But if you just needed one passage to point to, Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is not bad. But there is something that's going to sit on the supremacy of your life. Something that it will be, what will be your reason? Your logic? What will it be? I don't know. But I do know that I do know that Christ deserves to be on the throne of your heart because he both created you and he redeemed you. I'm talking to Christians here. If you don't know Christ, he created you, but he hasn't redeemed you, and you need to be redeemed in Christ. He's created the potential for your redemption right now. Run to Jesus, run to Jesus, run to Jesus. But he created you, and he redeemed you. He died on the cross. The sin that you deserve a penalty for, he paid the price for that sin on the cross. You hate someone, Jesus knows what it's like to be hated. He knows what it's like to be hated by you. And how did he respond to you? 
How long, pastor? How long do I have to deal with this other team? Well, I don't know. How long did Jesus deal with your hate? Don't stop until you win them over. Don't stop. How long do I have to deal with these curses? I don't know. How long did Jesus deal with your curses? Because when Jesus is on the throne, he's the king, he's the sovereign, he's the great one. Jesus is, I wonder if you're getting the point. Jesus is God. And when he sits on the throne of your heart, he leads and directs, he guides, and he instructs. Let Jesus sit on the throne of your life because he created you and he he redeemed you. I remember this story of a, a boat. It's told by a preacher. You know, those like, I mean, you know, you hear those preacher talk where it's not like a real story, it's like a parable. And so there was this boy who made, it took a long time to carve out the boat and make a little boat, a little float boat. And so he put it on the water in a lake and uh, the boat got away. It was a sailboat and the wind just took it away. He tried to run to try to catch his boat. He jumped into the water, but the thing had already been on its way. And he cried because he made the boat and he loved it. He was a little boy and it was the first thing he made. And it was just awesome to him. And so one day he was walking in town some months later. And he looked in the toy store and there it was. The boat that he had made. And he ran into the toy store and he said, that's my boat. That's my boat. And the owner said, no, 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 no. That's not your boat. That's my boat. And if you want the boat, it's a hand-carved, beautifully made uh, sailboat. You're going to have to pay me $120. And so the boy said, that's my boat. He was outraged. He said, I'm going to come back. And he went home, and he gathered all his little change, looking under the couch, broke his piggy bank, and got it all together, and he brought it, and it wasn't enough, so he took all of his toys, and he sold them all, and he tried to make as much money, he worked, and he cut grass, and he did whatever he could do, and he worked all, and he came back to that toy store, and he came, and with his little pennies and change, he put it all on into $120, more money than he had ever seen in his life, and the man took the boat out of the window, and gave it to the boy, and the boy walked home. And the boy just held the boat real close to his heart, and he said, I love you. I love you, and I'm never letting you go because I own you twice. I made you, and I bought you. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you're in Christ, Jesus loves you, and he loves you twice because he made you, And he bought you. Your life is not your own. Don't you do what you want to do. Don't you allow yourself to believe that Jesus, ah, Jesus will forgive me. Jesus doesn't care. Jesus, what doesn't matter? No, remember, remember, Jesus is Lord of all. Because either Jesus is God and he is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Let him be the Lord of every moment every moment, every moment of your life. So this week, what are you going to do? This week, what I want us to do as we close, I want you, as you go throughout the week, go, how is Jesus God here? I don't care if you're on Facebook and just go, how is Jesus presenting himself as God in my life with what I'm about to type? 
I don't care if you're on the computer and you're looking at stuff. How is Jesus reigning supreme right now in what I'm looking at? Maybe you're watching Pasión y Poder, right? You bunch of, right? That's the only Spanish version. I know it because my son knows. I don't know. Days of our lives, whatever. Maybe you're watching that. How is Jesus ruling and reigning in this moment and what I'm watching? Maybe you're listening to music. So this week, you have an opportunity to be reminded over and over and over again that Jesus is God. You're about to speak back to your spouse or to your boss or to your... How is Jesus God? How is Jesus Lord of what I'm about to say? How is Jesus God over what I'm about to share with this person? If it's gossip, oh my gosh. When Jesus is Lord, when he sits on the throne, what can happen? What can happen? Let me tell you something. This is what will happen. If Jesus is on the throne of your heart, complacency will give way to a life of adventure. Because Jesus is on the throne. And if you think that you've had fun with you being the Lord of your life, boy, Jesus will put you on an adventure that you can't imagine. If, if Jesus is on the throne of your life and you're a selfish person, selfishness is replaced with a reordered life that thinks of others. If Jesus is on the throne of your life, then he can use you for, in perfect freedom for his service. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, he can turn your grumbling into joy. Your complaining into worship. If Jesus is on the throne of your life, he can turn your self-pity into gratitude. If Jesus is on the throne of your life, he can transform everything. Come to Jesus. Walk to Jesus. He's gone to you. And let him influence not only you as an individual, but this church as a community. And let this church influence this nation as a whole as we go through this very difficult time in our history.